You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And today, we are speaking with Neil Conlon. Neil, thanks for joining us. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me, Bruce. I really appreciate it. And uh, just to give a little bit of background to everyone on Neil. So, you know, when I think of Neil, I've known Neil for a while. And when I think of Neil, I think of everything related to growth, everything related to, to data, to using technology to make better decisions, and really how do we efficiently, functionally scale businesses. And uh, Neil, you've always been my kind of my go-to guy on sort of the analytics and the, the, the data-driven decision-making when it comes to sales, sales management, um, you know, sales analysis. And so it's, it's really, it's great to have you on here. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's good to be here. It, it's, it's a really interesting time for um, folks who understand data because uh, I guess people have referred to me in the past as kind of the mad scientist of sales and marketing. But really what it comes from is, is that uh, back from my financial services days, I was doing a lot of data Wall Street stuff for a long time. And when it started to evolve into the world of sales and marketing and data, I just kind of had more experience than the average person because I stepped out of the, the back room in the IT closet where they hide all the data nerds back in the day. Um, but now it's about you know growth and how do you scale your business and the way to do that is to make uh, targeted decisions that you have some kind of analytic or some kind of metric that makes the pivot go in the right place and not just another roll of the dice. Right. So what, why don't you give people a sense of your story in terms of, so you came out of financial services, you leveraged the sort of the, the work that had been done there in terms of uh, the analytics and applied it um, to more of these sort of earlier stage growth company situations. Talk to us about that and talk to us a little bit about, you know, the changes and the pivots that you went through and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so I'll, I'll even um, back up a little further sure. than that. So um, I was always just a very naturally curious person. And ironically, I stem it back to after going through a bunch of Tony Robbins, Unleash Your Power Within stuff. I stem it back to the fact that my parents divorced. And I was always, as, a, as a young kid, I was curious why that happened. And, and I never figured it out until I was much older. But it like locked something subconsciously in me to have I have to understand why things work and how they work that way. So then I make it through schools and then decide that I want to get away for a little bit. So I, the only smart thing to do is join the Marine Corps. I joined the Marines for a bunch of years. And even the Marines, people were like, why do you insist on having to know why things work the way they do? They just do. <laughs> like I was I was yeah. disrupt. I, I say I'm disrupted by nature because in the Marines, I was always the guy with the question. And obviously, they never wanted to hear that hear that answer. So I get out of the Marines in 2004. The economy is fantastic. I get an entry level job at a small hedge fund called Guggenheim Partners, which I think now manages like 500 billion dollars or in capital or some some crazy number. And one day, I was doing my job, and I asked one of the portfolio analysts, um, "You know, what are you doing in this thing? I don't know anything about anything in the world of data or spreadsheets." And he was showing me how they were taking um, uh, geopolitical da data points, tax and tariff, weather patterns, import, export stuff, like 10 different types of data sets and trying to figure out how many coffee beans they were going to buy. You know, it, it was it was data data analysis for commodities trading. 
And it like blew my mind that this guy was sitting here at a desk, right? Having been deployed to the Middle East, all over the world, this guy is sitting at a desk with a bunch of numbers and he's gonna make global decisions based on a spreadsheet. So then I spent a bunch of years in financial services, got really invested in data and leveraging all these different data points to make decisions. And then I was at a, a data company listening to these um, sales guys talk about why their pipeline, sales pipeline was poor and why it wasn't working. And I stood up at his cubicle and I was like, nothing you guys are saying makes any sense to me at all. And um, because it wasn't scalable, it wasn't repeatable, it was just Bob knows Michelle, Michelle knows Bob, they've known each other forever, they're going to do deals together, which is just which is just odd, right? And And to me, it was odd at the time. And down the road further, I would use in some of the, the coaching and teaching that I do that rainmakers historically have not been scalable, right? Even if you get in the early stages of the business and whether you're the CEO or whether you're a founder of the company, you're you're not scalable. Yeah, it's a black box. I mean, they, you, know, you don't know how they work. You don't know how to reproduce them. Right. And, and it, was, it was funny because at one point I was at a company and the rainmaker of the company, the VP of sales would go over to the rainmaker and say, hey, can you go take so-and-so out for drinks and so-and-so? Like basically go sprinkle your fairy rain dust on top of this person and they'll just be the rainmaker. And that's a huge investment for, you know, that you're talking like years of collaboration and mentoring to get all of those tools, tricks, tactics that the Rainmaker has out of them and into another into another salesperson. And so that kind of set off this kind of sordid love-hate relationship I have uh, both with uh, for year for a couple of years after that, I would say I hate sales because I was hyper focused on marketing. Because at that point, all of the MarTech stuff was coming out, all the CRMs are, are rolling out, we're getting all these data analytics. So it was, I hate sales. It was, I love marketing. And then I realized I had to learn a lot about the relationships and learn about really the, the flow of how sales really works. And then, then it quickly shifted into the world of sales tech. And now we have conversational marketing bots. What's your, what's your kind of def, working definition of sales versus marketing? How do you define it? I think I used to be able to define it really, really well. Now I think it really is, there's a blending of the two where you need to have, you need to, they're symbiotic in each other because I think marketing is a time consuming event and sales should not be. Interesting. Me meaning right. your, in terms of people time put into developing and managing the process? Yes. Okay. I, I, I think because historically, if you look at the Mad Men era, right, it's like all this effort goes into creating this massive piece of content. Right. And traditional marketers, they're, they're really good marketers because they have an ego. Right. And they're looking for a tap on the back for putting in that effort into that case study, into that website, into designing that thing. And the sales guy's mind is their ego is driven on the close of the deal. I don't care what case study it was really. Right. And so where there's that sweet spot is, is that if both those people become data driven and start to look at the points of where they acquired the customer, what it was that got them across the finish line, and then what got them to pay the actual bill. If you can put the egos aside and say, here's these metrics, here's the cost per acquisition, here's the number of touches it took to get there, and here's the lifetime value of that customer, those are scalable. Uh, scaling the golf and the scotch or scaling that really good lucky shot you got with that case study because you're at the right place at the right time is not scalable at all. And that's, I think, where a lot of businesses are trying to replicate things that are just not scalable. Yeah. Do you find that um, that the 
the people that are good at the sort of older way or the less process, less data-driven way, are they sort of convertible to data-driven process-oriented uh, strategies? Or are we talking about different kind of wiring, makeup of people? I think it depends on the stage of the business because ultimately I, I know, I just spoke to a, a really good salesperson yesterday and he does about four deals a year, but they're big enterprise deals. And so the golf and scotch routine uh, still works. And I think it's going to work forever. Um, the difference is, I think, that if you're if you're building out a sales team and you're having sales people, multiples, and you're looking for real growth, the difference is, is that the person that can, the really good salesperson who can adopt handing off tasks to some of the tools will be the differentiator between a really great scalable sales process and a mediocre place where it's hard to scale. Even give you like a really, a really good example, because um, I've just finished uh, working on this a couple of days ago. It's like I leverage when I start to do outreach, I leverage Crystal Nose, right, which is a tool that gives me kind of a disk profile on who I should be speaking with uh, or gives me keywords that those are used to. So tell me whether a person is more of an analytical thinker or more of an empathetic thinker. Now, yeah, I mean, this say, is this is a fascinating one, actually. Sorry to jump out on this one. But I mean, this is the I mean, I think some of the, the the idea behind the opportunities when you start thinking of this from a from a data and a tool standpoint, you know, people are different and they, they want to receive messages in different ways. Yet we're sending generally we're sending the same message out to the same person, you know, from a from a voice point of view from a how do I how do I hear it? So the idea that I could actually say, well this this is the essence of the message I want to send out, something like Crystal can take that and say, all right, well, you should take that message and spin it this way or you should craft it this way for this person and this way for this person based on who they are, regardless of who you are and even your brand and your voice, it's understanding the more you understand about that person and how do they listen and how do they hear, that's fascinating. Right. And and I think what you have going on now is that when the I mean if the the sales industry is really only like 50 years old, right? As an industry of coaching techniques, tactics, strategies, the Sandler trainings, the Miller-Hyman's, all of those type of methodologies. And so it's still very new, right? So it's it's changed exponentially. And so in the beginning, when we decided that we were going to split business, B2B business, right? And B2C, we developed these personas and archetypes and who our ideal customer, ideal prospect is, and now I think this ties into the, the question you asked of what's the difference between sales and marketing, because now it's becoming the term I've heard often is B to H, which is business, business to human, which is if I know that you're an analytical person, right? And I know you like to, you like numbers and I speak to you in the language that you want to hear because I understand that I don't have to put all the buzzwords on top of B to B, B to C, because if there's a need for my services or my product from you, and I can speak to you in a language that you can receive it well, if there's an opportunity to purchase, you'll purchase versus the layers and layers that we've built over the past 50 years, trying to figure out the best way to scale and grow our businesses, you know, quickly. So, but there's, I mean, there's a, several different tools, AI, bot-like things that I use day to day that make it so that I can be more authentic, more original in the type of content that I create, deliver the content on platforms that people want to receive it on. Um, and then ultimately that makes me be able to move as quickly yeah. as a team of six. 
yeah. or more. Before we dig into the schools, what are the, kind of the, um, the axes or the, the, the variables that you're looking at? So you have kind of platform, you've got time, you've got, you know, when you look at kind of the data that you have available, the data you'd like to be able to see when developing kind of a communication or a campaign strategy, what are the things that you're looking at? What are the things that are really impactful, do you find? So I, I think in order for, I guess, in order for companies to be ready to scale and grow on their sales and marketing efforts, they need to have make it, made it past zero to one, right? They need to have proven product market fit, number one. But the biggest challenge, I think, is uh, companies will try to fast forward that, you know, and then it becomes a matter of just meeting, meeting people where they are. Right. And that's really with content that they will resonate with them about something that they are interested in. And it's wild because the digital world is moving so quickly. Right. The first word in the term social media is the hardest thing for people to do in social media. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it's we're three dimensional. If you look at the, the state of the market, because we're going through this right now. And, and this is a great question. It's like we went from being these three-dimensional or four-dimensional beings to being a flat screen and then being like, you can now talk to everybody and everyone tried to talk to everybody. And then we, we've, we've segmented off into these tribes called Facebook, LinkedIn, Snapchat, whatever they are. And then it became like, well, I, I can't convey how I feel. And now we've moved into the world of video, you know, video on social media being more valuable than just typing a few things. And now we're moving to the point where, you know, between VR and podcasting and just listening while we're doing, now that I can hear people, I hear their voice again, I need to hear the emotion. I need to hear the the social, the human sense of belonging to get there. And so that's really the hard part is, is that people will say, okay, we're ready to scale. All right, let's get Salesforce because that's the cool tool. Or let's do email marketing on Marketo. And it's like, we don't even don't even know if the percentage of people that actually open up your emails in your industry. Like, yeah, that one seems like this one for me has always been kind of a challenge. And, and I think that often kind of missed or at least not fully resolved, you know, as we've got all these channels, right? I mean, we can we can now put ads on Facebook, ads on Instagram, we can, you know, Snapchat, like we have all these ways of, of delivering messages. But the context that these messages show up in are so different. You know, it used to be, you know, I would advertise in an industry publication where I knew that a professional was sort of in a professional mode, thinking about their business, thinking about the challenges they're having. And I have an ad there that kind of fits or that, that sits within a context that their, that their mind is in. And I can kind of deliver a message in a way that they hear it. Now, you know, I'm on Facebook, you know, having photographs of my, you know, children on there talking to relatives and all of a sudden I'm getting ads, you know, related to things that are completely out of context. And as a, as a communicator, it's like that, that one I don't see as being fixed yet. (laughs) How do I, how do I control that or how do I make that work? And and, and that really comes down to the effort, right? A lot of times these companies, you know, will say it's easier for us to spend 10 grand a month on ad spend and get a bunch of leads and you know, spend our time separating the wheat from the chaff, and then hopefully at the bottom of our pipeline, we're going to get a couple wins, right? And that's just—it's just effort. And uh, one of the things, one of the things I think that is the challenge of the sales and marketing teams not aligning, is I always tell people unless you can unless you can follow a client from uh, what I call first touch to first check, 
you really just don't know why they bought. And so it goes back to if uh, if I go and reach out to somebody in my network and I bring in somebody and I close a deal because they're part of my network, if I can do that hundreds of times, that's great. And for a small business, maybe that works. But if 50% of the reason why they bought was because of the trust factor in our relationship, eventually you're going to exhaust all those relationships and you really want to grow your business past, you know, a certain threshold, you can't keep on doing that. Yeah, not, not scalable. Okay, so um, so let's take the example or just, um, you know, a situation where, you know, I've got a service-based business, right? Currently, they're doing, you know, most of their sales through maybe the partners or the CEO or, you know, senior folks that have a reputation in the industry. They've got, you know, a good but limited network. Um, you know, oftentimes what I find in those situations is that they, they kind of tap out or they, they max out, they have a ceiling of growth because they just don't have, they can't, it's hard to reproduce those. And those people only have so much time and they only have so much network. What are some of the strategies or what's some of the, the, the techniques, directions that you might look at in terms of adjusting or, or, or pivoting their sales process to make it a more scalable, sustainable, measurable tool that they can use to produce to produce leads and produce clients. Yep. So I think the, the first thing question I always ask teams is I say, uh, what's going to be the, what's going to be the thing that that sets the team up for success the most? I think there's a lot of CEOs and founders that that feel that stress of the growth, right? They have to grow. And so they go out and find the consultants, they find the strategists, they come in and sh show, and, and I've been through this before myself, they come in and say, we want to grow to, we want to 10X our business in three years. What would you do? And we come in and throw tools and tactics and tricks. And in six months, the whole team is disheveled because the new, the new website's not done because the requirements were crazy. They can't do this. They can't do that. So I always start off with the, we need to have be leveraging things that the teams that is actually going to be doing this day to day can actually be set up for success there. Right. That's the first piece. The second piece is the traditional one is to put in less. The traditional way people are doing things still today is we're going to do the thing that has the least amount of effort to it that is just scalable. So that's where people will put 10 grand a month on Facebook advertising and just let it run rampant for months and then not try and tweak it or play with it or understand why it happened. And so what I'm getting to is I feel like if you're coming out of it and starting, I feel like that people need to invest time in understanding being more agile in sales and marketing and be willing to kind of day trade back and forth in a bunch of different places and see what really what works right there. I mean, there are everything from there's still a place for email marketing. There's still a place for for cold calling. There's still a place for you know, um, creating content like case studies and publishing them, there's still room for mail. Um, yeah. But you have to really just not get too heavily, like get too heavily invested in the delivery channels of your content, like work on the content, build really, really great content. But don't think that just because you tried something on one channel that it's not going to work other places. Because the thing that I hear almost every day is I go and speak to somebody and I they, they say, well, here's our problem. Here's what we're doing. And I was like, oh, you guys should totally do this. And they're like, yeah, we tried that. It didn't work. And it's like, you tried it for a couple of months and you gave up and you just kind of, like you said, ran back to whatever worked yeah. because of the stress and angst of trying to grow and scale your business. I, th I think that's a really good point because I think that, I mean, A, you know, kind of treating it like that agile experiment. Like how do we figure out what our unknowns are? How do we 
test something that's going to give us real data that we can we can for reasonable at a reasonable level of certainty say it wor- it's working or it's not working or it's undecided and we need to run a different experiment but also just you know that willingness to try those different channels because different businesses um, you know are going to find success on different channels and I think a lot of people just they go to you know content marketing and assume that that's going to work for everyone every time and we actually recently had a client where just the particular nature of what they were offering and where they were with the business and what incremental revenue we needed, we actually looked at subway ads in New York City because we realized that we could we could really target those to some particular key locations based on the target customer, the target audience that we had, and and we ran a few. And we actually we, we uh, what we hoped was going to happen didn't happen, but some other things happened that we didn't expect that actually gave us a lot of good data. You know, so just the willingness to go out there and try these different things in you know in, in experimental ways and and learn from them, and not just did it work, did it not, but what did we learn from it? I think is really is really important. Yeah, I, I think it's super important, and also I think that again, I think the sales and marketing industry as a whole is just shifting so quickly, right? The the whole digital ecosystem is changing so rapidly that what I what I always mention to folks is the email before you or after yours in the inbox or the website I go to before or after yours could could be a win or a loss for you. And and like really like if I go look on some crazy blockchain website and it's amazing and then I need to go to a plumbing website because I need a plumber for my house and the plumbing website hasn't been updated in in 10 years, I'm immediately displaced from that and the two have nothing to do with each other. Well, except that they are the path of the user kind of experience and the, the, the user's perception. And I think, yeah, it kind of goes back to that, like, how do we control or how, how do we understand or appreciate that these messages that we're delivering are within a frame or within some kind of context, either literally or figuratively, you know, the, the headspace of the customer and are temporal, right? I mean, we, something happened before them and after them. And uh, I think the people that, A, figure that out and B, find ways of actually impacting that in some way tend to have, um, you know, more, more kind of breakthrough in terms of effectiveness around marketing. Because otherwise it's, you're just, it's, it's random, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So what, I, so you mentioned a couple of tools. I'd be curious to hear what else you're working with these days. So you mentioned Crystal. What else do you see out there right now that is kind of either, you know, interesting is kind of, you know, using interesting technology or interesting systems or you find is particularly effective, um, you know, as practical, something that you tend to go towards? I think the uh, in the world of sales and marketing, I think that, you know, scheduling, once you get someone's attention and activate the prospect, I think scheduling is hard, right? It takes a lot of effort. You can only do so much of it. So um, I, I tend to think that uh, artificial scheduling assistants um, are very good. Um, things like Calendly are very, very helpful. I think that X.AI or Amy is a very impressive one. Um, there's also another, a new one out called um, Flamingo.AI, which is actually Australian based, but they're doing more contextual sales virtual assistant stuff. So the assistant can actually ask, answer prospecting questions while it's doing scheduling to kind of requalify the opportunity so that you can a salesperson can actually validate that not only did, did a person qualify them, but it was being revalidated. So it kind of heightens the score of this is a real opportunity or someone just going through my pipeline out of curiosity. That's an interesting one because I think, I mean, one thing I found is that, uh, I mean, some just anecdotal, you know, prospects, leads, they'll get hot and cold over time. So I think a lot of times you'll, you'll, they'll be very warm and then, you know, a week, you know, whatever, a couple of days will go by, a week will go by and you'll kind of get into that next step and it will go cold. 
And I think a lot of people end up saying, oh, well, it's cold. I'll put it away rather than, okay, it's cold, but how do I monitor it? How do I, can I keep checking on it for it to warm back up again? And then that can happen quite suddenly. And I like the idea that there's AI thinking about how do I use that whole logistic logistics process to kind of measure that and potentially adjust what I'm doing based on the feedback I'm getting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, the, um, the world of AI and sales really is, is that there's only so much mindshare a salesperson can work in so many deals at a time, but these little taskmasters that can kind of do the, the percolating of information to the top of the pipeline that can remind you that can schedule things for you really where lots of people will say, well, that's going to make these things will make sales go away. And as a person who I consider myself an early adopter of this stuff, it does the exact opposite. It allows me to be more present for the conversation to make sure that the the real qualifying questions that need to be asked and the relationship can be built actually can happen. Because, I mean, I'm sure you've been through this. Uh, how many times have you been on the phone with someone trying to qualify an opportunity and you hang up and then you go and tell your boss, your partner, someone you work with, and the four questions that they ask you right away were the four questions you did not ask this opportunity because you were so excited it was going well, right? So if you can take half those questions off your list being, when's the next call gonna be, you know, and a couple more, it just narrows down what you need to be present for in that conversation, which is the real value add stuff, which people tend to really appreciate you not wasting their time with the hour-long phone call of qualifying and scheduling and what's next steps in this. Let's have 30 minutes. Let's let's get to the beans and the bullets and let's work through it. Yeah. Or and and again back to the idea of the the crystal and the personality type is, you know, who are you? And and do you want to have the bullet point conversation? Do you want to have, you know, a big, you know, a 20 minute get to know each other? You know, if AI, if AI could start to figure some of that out for me and give me a little profile or give me some prompts or some cues or at least some insights on what that might be could dramatically improve my effectiveness when I'm actually in that prospect. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a really, a really impressive, fantastic, quick story about how well this, that, that actually works. Yeah. I was in a meeting a few weeks ago with a um, founder of a, of a very, of a very a company that is performing very well and making a lot of money and looking for the strategy to move to the next level. And the person I was tag teaming in the conversation and they were explaining the value of brand and how the company needs to redo their brand. That's gonna be where their, where their growth comes from when the brand resonates. And right now their brand just doesn't resonate with their customers and they're working really, really hard, but the shift is gonna be getting your brand out there more. And I was watching as this, as this young CEO just couldn't wrap his head around, like, why weren't we pitching email marketing? Why weren't we pitching Facebook advertising or something like that? So I quickly go on Crystal and throw his profile in there. And it tells me about how he's athletics minded and how he's a heavy sports fan and likes teams, all this stuff about sports, sports, sports. And I could see that the, the conversation was not going in a good direction when the person that I was in the meeting with was trying all everything, everything that she had <laughs> yeah. doing it well, but it just wasn't going there. Every play of the book. <laughs> and so I re, so I go, can I can I interject for a second? I go, what's a Yankee? And everyone looks at me puzzled. I go, what's a Yankee? I don't know what a Yankee is. I mean, I know I know what the term is in like jokes and movies and stuff like that. But really, what's the definition of a Yankee? And they're still just like, where are you going with this? I said, well, why Why do you go to Yankees game? Why is the Yankees team the best team that there is? What makes them actually any different than the, 
any other baseball team. Why does everyone want to play at the Yankees? Their brand. They've built a brand that is unsurpassed in the Major League Baseball. It's more easier for me to wrap my head around what an Oriole is, what a Shark is, what a Cardinal is. What's a Yankee? But the brand is so strong. The brand voice resonates so much. And he, he watched it click. We dug back into it. He's re-engaged. And right there, I will be a lifetime customer of this tool forever. <laughs> I'll have one conversation. Yeah, they probably paid for the lifetime subscription. But. Right? I mean, like, obviously you need to adopt it be familiar, yeah. and think about it like that. But but that's an, an exact, ex- a perfect example of being able to be a little bit more human by using a little bit of tech. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I think that it's it's really kind of augmenting the salesperson's kind of capabilities, insights, access to data that I think is really the powerful stuff rather than – I mean, I, look, I, I think the, the automation stuff is great and I think you can, you can offload a lot of work and you can speed up a lot of things, but you're not going to completely automate everything that has to do with – particularly with service-based companies where you're dealing with relationship selling. It's, it's just it's not going to happen. But the idea of augmenting, having kind of the, almost the bionic salesperson where they've got access to these tools and access to this insight when they need it you know, at the right time is, is, is really fascinating. Yeah, no, it, it, and again, it, even saying it out loud, right, the ability to leverage tech to be a little bit more human is, is really is really interesting because we've, we've gotten a little lost in how the tech works, why it should work, should it work, why doesn't it work, because it's just evolving so quickly. You know, there's a great conversation. We're, we're going to hit time here in a second, but I want to give you a chance to let people know uh, if they're interested in speaking with you more about some of these topics, uh, learn more about the work that you do, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Here's how quickly the growth hack starts. Uh, just Google my name. Like, I mean, because I, maybe you don't, maybe you like LinkedIn, maybe you like Twitter, maybe you like Facebook. I'm on all of them. Just Google the name. Um, I think about replacing my business card with just my name with an at symbol on it. Just look it up. Cool. All right. So you heard the people. <laughs> look them up. Get in touch with them. Whatever platform, whatever device, whatever technology you'd like. Neil, this has been great. I'll make sure that, I'll make sure that. Uh, the stuff you gave me, all your information bio and everything is on the show notes. Maybe that will come up in the, in the Google search as well. But uh, this, is, uh, this has been a pleasure. I look forward to uh, keeping in touch on this. I think there's going to be a lot of great things over the coming years on this. Awesome. Appreciate it, Bruce. Thanks for the time again. Thanks again. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.